0: Good morning and welcome to the Morning Briefing for Monday, July 23rd, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we're going to speak to Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America Research Director Steph Mullen about a number of topics, including these changes that may be coming to the Forever GI Bill. They're DOD-directed changes, and the more I think about this, the more upset I get Going to talk to her about that and much more coming up in just a little bit. And then later, Sean Springs. If that name sounds familiar, you're probably a football fan. Sean Springs, of course, played in the NFL for many years. He was a Pro Bowler, he was an All Pro, probably best known for his time with the Seattle Seahawks when he first entered the league, and then later on with the Washington Redskins. Well, Sean Springs is hoping to become known as the guy who changes the game when it comes to concussions and traumatic brain injuries. He's also an Army brat. Yeah, I bet you didn't know that. Well, he is. And his new helmet technology called Windpact, that's the company he's the CEO of, is looking to help not only athletes, but also members of the military. We're going to talk to Sean about his upbringing, growing up in an Army family, and talk to him about this incredible technology that he says could make the difference when it comes to concussions, traumatic brain injuries, and so on. So that's coming up later on today as well. Coming up right now, super producer Jake Hughes joins us in the studio on this lovely Monday morning. I say that tongue planted firmly in cheek. My God, Jake, what awful weather we've experienced in our nation's capital and the surrounding area for
1: the Oh yes, it was raining pretty much all Saturday,
0: like all day and Sunday for us. Up, uh, I live north, uh, up up closer to Baltimore, and the. Fun thing was, so I go outside. My wife had an appointment at a massage place at 5 p.m. on Saturday. I had one at 6, so I was going to drive over there with my son. She takes the son home. We pass him off, basically. I go out to go there and find a flat tire. Oh, my front right tire. Oh, yay. Totally flat. Now, I do have a little compressor in my car that you plug into the the, the cigarette lighter, which is never used for cigarette lighting anymore. They don't even give you a cigarette lighter with new cars. It's just a 12-volt jack, basically. But you plug it in there, and it fills up the tire, and it usually does a really good job. Well, I had it in there for like 15 minutes and noticed it's barely going up at all. So there was a big hole in the tire. That didn't work. Um, so I didn't get to go and get my massage. So my back is feeling even worse today than it normally does on a Monday. And then went to go, uh, up to the gas station to use the, I got it pumped up enough to where the rim wasn't on the ground, went to the gas station to use the high pressure, uh, tire filler, got it up kind of close to where it's supposed to be. Went back home, totally flat within a couple hours again. So yesterday I, uh, wanted to give my wife a break. She had some work stuff to do. So my son and I, Go outside. Use fix a flat inside of the tire, and then we're going to get a uh, a replacement tire. First place we went to was absolutely useless. Now tires are only a part of their business. Uh, It's a place that I love that we are membership members of. However, their tire department is absolutely useless. Went over there and said, how how long of a wait? Oh, about three, four hours. It's like, really? And that's if we were accepting uh, any more people today, but we're not. So we're not going to be able to help you out. <laughs> I was like, well, why didn't you just lead off with that say, I'm sorry, we're, we're all booked up right now. We can't. So I ended up going over. There's a uh, AAA place near our house. As we're driving from the first place to AAA, the heavens opened up, Jake, and it was... It was ridiculous. It was like hurricane conditions minus the crazy wind. You could barely see as you were driving along. Of course, I've got a tire that's probably leaking air even with the fix-a-flat in it. Finally get down to AAA. They were able to to replace the tire. Of course, my other front tire was uh, fairly worn down, and they were like, well, you, you could just get one dumb, but if the other one's that much more worn down, eventually you're going to have to replace both of them uh, sooner than you would. Anyway, so get two new tires, but it's just a... Uh, just a nightmare and then the best part is so it is raining torrentially as we drive over to get the get the tire done right we get there we go inside my son and i leave an hour later with two new front tires sunny and like 80 degrees. (laughs) Where where was this? The moment I go out to do fix-a-flat on the car, the rain starts, and then as we're driving, it really starts going. Thunder, lightning. My wife said the dog was freaking out inside of the house, all that kind of stuff. But just a miserable, rainy weekend. Didn't do much of anything other than getting that tire replaced. I played a ton of video games with my son and all that stuff, and it's just in the summertime you don't like to see that.
1: I had a fun weekend. What'd you do? (laughs) I found a brand new. uh, I found my new favorite game, which I'm. It's you wouldn't even be able to pronounce, or I've ever heard of. So what is it? It's called Nino Cooney Two: Revenant Kingdom. No,
0: never heard of it.
1: (laughs) It's a JRPG. So it's an actual JRPG. I actually like, which is rare. And then on Sunday, I played a good, like, four-hour session of D&D, which was a lot of fun with my
0: friends online. There so, you know. How's your uh, Lego project going with the it's Ghostbusters? It's coming.
1: I actually took a break this week, so or this past week, so it's still kind of just got the foundation done,
0: but I'm going to hit it again this week and try to get it built up some more. Well, there you go. Oh, and just uh, to let everybody know, next week, Jake will be in the captain's chair on the show because I will be taking a little vacation with my family, going up to my home state of Connecticut, uh here's the unfortunate thing looking at the weather it's looking like it's going to rain every day we're (laughs) up there unless things change so that is uh well that's not fun but speaking of connecticut guess what jake what's that connecticut is the latest featured state in benefits in my backyard a series we have on connectingvets.com by jonathan kopanger former va worker current connectingvets.com ace va reporter there's some benefits up in my home state. 217,000 veterans live in Connecticut, which uh, doesn't sound like a ton, but it's a relatively small state. You know, it's uh, it's not a huge place. Does have a military presence there. Of course, Groton, New London. There's the the, the Navy base in Groton. It's a sub base. It's It's where the, the USS Nautilus Museum is and all that good stuff. Also, New London, some people don't know, is the location of the Coast Guard Academy. So that is located up there as well, which of all the service academies, hardest one to get into by far because they have the smallest student body by far. Because, of course, there are fewer people serving in the Coast Guard than in any other branch of the service. But uh, a really beautiful campus and uh, a good place to be in like the summer, the spring, fall. uh, But then winter is like six months long and it's not very
1: That's weird. I mean, you... Because I'm trying to think, that means you really got to want to
0: be in the Coast Guard.
1: Oh, like Jake who who would have that Coast Coast much Guard drive now. to
0: be in the Coast Guard? Well, there are, and in the Coast Guard, there are not as many officers um, as there are in the other services. There's not as many of anything as there are in the other in the other services. But I was at an uh, event. A short time ago, and there were some Coast Guard people there at the Military Times Service Members of the Year Award. There was uh, an admiral. I believe he was a three, two or three star, uh, so rear admiral or vice admiral in the Coast Guard. And his aide was there, and his aide was a lieutenant. In the Navy. So the equivalent of a captain in the Army, Marine Corps, or Air Force. I was talking to him and found out he had been in a long time. Their promotion, because there are so few of them, it's slower than every other service. It's just the way that it goes. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a very difficult school to get into, the Coast Guard Academy. And I'm trying to look it up right now as quickly as I can. There are only nine hundred and eighty-eight cadets at the entire school, so you're wow. talking about two hundred and fifty or so uh, per class. Now let's look up the Naval Academy and see how many there are there. What's your guess for how many students there are at the Naval Academy?
1: Uh, a couple thousand, maybe.
0: I think you're probably right about that, but what's a couple thousand? Like, are you talking like two thousand? Are you talking three thousand? Uh, I'll say twenty-five hundred. 4,576. And I was wrong. So you've got five times as many students almost as at the Coast Guard Academy, and that's at the Naval Academy. And then, of course, you got the West Point, is even bigger than the Naval Academy, and then the Air Force Academy is a little bit smaller. Uh, the Naval Academy is different because you do have two services right. uh, going to school there. Uh, everybody goes there as a midshipman. It's when you get towards graduation that you figure out whether you're going to the Marine Corps or the Navy. One of the interesting things we found out last year when I went over to the— uh, Naval Academy football practice facility before the um, uh, the Navy's birthday, they told me that the majority of players on the team end up going into the Marine Corps and that their current team was like of them going into the Marine Corps. That doesn't surprise me. No, not particularly. And, of course, Brian Stan, first ever guest in the special guest spot on this show uh, over a year ago now. He was a Naval Academy football player who would then go on uh, to become a Marine, receive the Silver Star, and then go on to fight in the UFC and then be a commentator in the UFC and now is uh, heading up a business and, I believe, getting a degree somewhere out in the Pacific Northwest. He has some really interesting stuff going on there But here's the interesting stuff going on around the state of Connecticut. You know, property tax exemption, that's a big deal, particularly in the Northeast. Taxes are insanely high. If you complain about taxes and you're living in some place like Virginia or South Carolina or your home state of Texas... Try visiting New England and living there for a couple of years. They don't call it Taxachusetts for nothing up in Massachusetts. (laughs) Connecticut, not much better. But there is a veteran property tax exemption. If you've got at least 90 days of wartime service, you're eligible for a $1,500 exemption that can be applied to real estate or automobiles. And veterans with income below certain levels, including disabled veterans and surviving spouses, may be eligible for additional property tax exemptions. So you can contact the tax assessor's office for more details on that. Uh, tuition waivers. You've got this at the University of Connecticut and any other state college and university. Qualified vets uh, accepted for admission must be formally admitted for undergraduate or graduate study. You receive a 100 percent tuition waiver for all courses. So that's good. It's something similar to what Texas did. Now, when I got out in 2011, I don't believe this had started yet because there were questions about I I first had visited uh, the Yukon branch in the city. I grew up in Stanford and looked at going there. They didn't have the right program for me. And there were also questions of how it was all going to be paid for and all that stuff. So I ended up going to community college. Uh, in Norwalk, Connecticut, instead, and, of course, had to pay there. So this is something fairly new, but something really good, particularly since there are some really good schools located in the state of Connecticut. You're talking about Yale. You're talking about Trinity. You're talking about Quinnipiac, all sorts of good schools up there, and you can get 100% tuition waiver for the state schools. Never heard of Quinnipiac. You've never heard of Quinnipiac study? No. Wow, you don't pay attention to the news very much, do you? Quinnipiac is a huge research school, and they are, if you watch CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, whatever, a Quinnipiac poll, a Quinnipiac study coming out of that school, uh, they're all over the place. So it's a smaller school, but a very, very good school. Veteran preference points applied to competitive exams for state employment. Honorable discharge, of course, is required. 10 points for wartime veterans who receive VA compensation, five points to wartime veterans not eligible to VA compensation. Spouse of qualified veterans may also receive additional points to qualify. Spouse must achieve a passing grade on the examination. Uh, there's also career fairs offered across the state and free work job workshops at the American Job Centers for families. They have a thing called Patriots Landing, which I'd never heard of, but it's five separate single-family homes that can accommodate veterans, their spouses, and children completely furnished, provided on a month-to-month basis. Participants are expected to pay a monthly housing program fee, but it's a lot less than you know paying a, a mortgage, essentially. So if you are struggling for housing... That's a possibility. They are smoke-free houses. Pets are not permitted, with exceptions being considered for service animals. Soldier, Sailors, and Marines Fund uh, offers temporary financial assistance. Support services for veteran families helps veteran families at risk of becoming homeless to maintain housing. And then, of course, fishing and hunting licenses. This is something you see pretty much every state, it seems, that there are... Either discounts or free licenses being provided. Disabled veterans may be issued a free fishing or hunting license. Uh, active duty military can purchase a Connecticut license for the same fee as a resident. It, basically, you're talking fishing licenses. There is very little to no hunting allowed. In I would
1: imagine it's kind of a small state. I don't think
0: there's much hunting ground. Oh, no, there's plenty of hunting ground. They just won't allow it. Ah, It's one of those things. It's kind of like New York. You go up into the Northeast with the exception of Maine, Uh, a little bit in Vermont, New Hampshire, any of the uh, southern New England and and New York, a little bit more in New Jersey. New York upstate is a little bit better, but on Long Island where I lived, it was almost impossible to get a hunting uh, license. And the sad thing about that is they have a deer problem. There are way too many deer. So, for example, I have uh, in-laws that live right on the edge of a nature preserve where they have Way too many deer. They're causing a lot of car accidents. They're destroying foliage. They're getting into people's uh, yards and causing problems. Instead of allowing people to hunt them, the state of New York comes in and poisons them, which renders the meat unusable. And it's just like, why you could charge people, make money off of them coming in to hunt it, but you know what the issue is? Guns.
1: Uh, Ah, yes. That that makes sense. And they're
0: sure somebody's going to get shot and killed and all this other stuff, but... Okay, so you waste money. You pay state employees to go in and poison deer instead of charging hunters to come in and do it. You can make sure they're properly licensed. Nope, they don't do that. So your only chance to hunt on Long Island is to get uh, property owner um, acceptance, basically. So First, be one of the first people in line to get a hunting license. Second, find somebody with a property that's uh, large enough it has to fit certain requirements that has whatever animal you're looking for on it, deer or whatever, uh, and, and get them to give you written permission to go onto their property, which usually you have to pay for and stuff like that. Veterans with service-connected disabilities may receive a free lifetime state park pass in Connecticut. You'll need a copy of your current Connecticut driver's license and a VA benefits letter indicating the service-connected disability. They do have a veteran's home in Rocky Hill, has a 50-bed substance abuse recovery program, and a 40-bed residential program. Any veteran discharged with an other-than-honorable discharge and who is a current resident of Connecticut. So I believe it means other-than-honorable or higher, so other-than-honorable or better Dishonorable, you are or sorry, other than dishonorable discharge. So there you go. As long as you don't have a dishonorable discharge, you can have an OTH. You can still get into the veteran's home cemetery and burial. There's a state veteran cemetery in Middletown. This says Middleton, but I don't know if there is a Middleton, Connecticut. We may have to change that. Middletown, I know where that is. is it? Middleton. Not saying it's not there because there are a lot of little towns I've never heard of, but I'm, I think it is in Middletown. It's also an eligibility determination form, pre needs determination intended to simplify and assist. Veterans next of kin at the time of death. So that's pretty much it on the list. It's not as lengthy a list as we've seen for other states. It is a smaller state. Uh, it is a state that is currently having uh, money problems. It's a state where essentially what happened is the, uh, uh, the recent government under the governor, who was formerly the mayor of Stanford where I grew up, and I'm very familiar with, uh, with him and his family, uh, you know, just, hey, we're, we're having money problems. Let's raise taxes on the businesses. They'll always have more money for us to tax. Of course. Yeah, What happens when those businesses then say, all right, we're leaving to a state that's not going to do that to us? You lose out on the income from all the people working for those companies, and you lose out on the taxes. So uh, they're trying to figure out how to deal with that. There is an uh, election for governor coming up later on this year. He will not be running for re-election, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a difficult experience up there, and it's not – I wouldn't say it's veteran unfriendly, but I also wouldn't say it's the most veteran friendly state in the world as far as the benefits and things like that, which is fine. Sticking with the Northeast, Long Island, Suffolk County, Long Island specifically is where I lived before moving down here, Jake, the town of Huntington, which is right on the border of Nassau and Suffolk County. Suffolk is the eastern half of Long Island. Nassau is the western half of Long Island, basically. Okay, maybe more like two thirds and one third. Suffolk County was also the location of the vandalizing of a memorial to Lieutenant Michael Murphy. Of course, the United States Navy SEAL and Medal of Honor recipient, who is from Long Island. We talked about it last week a little bit, uh, and they've made an arrest. They made an arrest last Friday. It was a 14-year-old male arrested at his Ronkonkoma home. We don't know a lot of the details, whether they you know, did some investigation, found fingerprints or whatever, or if somebody turned him in, don't know what the deal was, but they got him at least. And it's a minor, so they're not naming him. But in a situation like this, eh, there's maybe certain times that we should waive that let's not name a minor thing. This is the kind of thing that I think shaming him for what he did might be the best way to let him know never to do this again. And then, of course, the counterargument to that is, well, then he might never be able to uh, shake it. It will always be on his record. Maybe it should. Yeah, maybe it should. I mean, at 14 years old, you're not making the decisions that uh, your brain isn't fully formed, essentially. You're dumb. At 14 years old, you're dumb. Even if you're a smart 14-year-old, you're dumb. I mean, it's just the way that we work as human beings. So, I mean, I understand why they're not doing it, but I'd really like to know at some point what the motive was was this just some kid looking to smash something and didn't care what it was? That's certainly possible. But at 14 years old, you would think that the uh, the young person, and I believe it's a male, would be able to read. And this is very, I mean, it, it's a beautiful memorial. This beautiful engraved stone memorial gives you the 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 breakdown of what it was actually that he did on June 28th, 2005. This was something that was uh, very much at the forefront of the special operations community specifically the United States Navy special operations community. Like, if you follow people like Marcus Luttrell on Facebook, um, they, they, they were all, uh, or on Instagram, I think it was, they were all following this very closely, and you can read all of their opinions on it by checking them out on social media. There's a lot of uh, really interesting uh, takes on there, basically all of the takes that this is really bad in this case. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if they want prosecute prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. It sounds more like... They want him to maybe sit down with Murphy's family and have a talk about that or maybe with some of his his teammates. I'm sure I'm sure Marcus would be more than happy to travel up to Connecticut and have a chat with this 14-year-old. Yeah,
1: but what you know? kind of conversation are you going to get out of a 14-year-old in trouble? He'll just be like, whatever, I don't know.
0: Well, maybe, maybe if, if that's the case, then the family can come out and say like, all right, well, this didn't work out very well, this conversation, and you know what? they don't have the same requirements as the police for not releasing the names of a 14-year-old. So if the kid didn't show any true remorse or anything like that, then you could have the family releasing the name publicly and all that stuff. Just a thought. Just a thought. Here's another thought. If you're looking for work and you like what Team Rubicon does, guess what? We've got some good news for you. Right on ConnectingVets.com, you can see this story about Team Rubicon, which, of course, is a veteran-led disaster response organization. We've talked to them before. I had had uh, CEO Jake and co-founder Jake Wood on the show. They're looking for 12 veterans for a paid construction training program. The only required experience... Ability to put your service above yourself. It's the Clay Hunt Fellows Program, a 12 month leadership and training program for veterans. Applications are being accepted until today, so get those applications in today. Selected veterans will participate in a one year rebuild program in South Florida. Here's what DJ Springer, Team Rubicon Senior Associate for Public Affairs, said We're looking for 12 badass veterans to step in and lead the charge down there and help continue with the long term recovery efforts. The concept began after a 7.8 magnitude earthquake hit Haiti. This is the concept for Team Rubicon in 2010. Uh, so you, you basically have um, a group that's doing great things, using veterans, putting veterans to work to help our fellow Americans when they're hit. And not even just our fellow Americans. As we just said, it started in, in Haiti, helping people. That's kind of what military service is about. Of course, Americans above all else, but we help others, too. We spend a lot of time helping others around the world, and that can continue. And in this program, the Clay Hunt Fellows Program, you don't need to have construction experience. You'll be trained in all the skills that you need. And Springer says pretty much how to rebuild a house from start to finish. Even if after a year they don't want to continue working with Team Rubicon, guess what? Now they have construction experience in residential construction. So you have a fellowship program that's teaching you how to do a job, you have a company that wants to pay you to do that job, and then you also have experience uh, to now go out in town and get just regular work. Seems like a win-win-win to me. Yeah, and it's uh construction is another thing that listen, they're always building stuff. We look outside of our studio windows here, try try walking a couple of meters. Yeah, we're European here. Try couple, walking a couple of yards without bumping into a construction crane or a guy wearing yeah. a fluorescent jacket. And a
1: Outside the front building, I can see at least nine just facing one direction.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're looking at looking out of the studio right now. I see two just by turning my head. Construction around this country is uh, it's booming right now. Not everywhere, of course, we know that, but there are plenty of construction jobs out there, and they're looking for people who know what they're doing. Well, if Team Rubicon is teaching you what to do, you're even better off and you're gonna have the ability to check all of that stuff out. We've got another one of these interesting stories about someone possibly being deported, who is a veteran, still serving on active duty, um, not in veteran status yet, but about to be given an honorable discharge and then may face some problems. So this is an army specialist born in South Korea. It's being reported uh, by the Associated Press and others. Ye G say, I believe is how it's pronounced, 29 years old, from Gardena, California, Four years in the Army, assigned to Fort Sam Houston, Texas, filed a lawsuit Thursday in federal court, basically filing a lawsuit for citizenship. So here's what happened with uh, Miss, or sorry, specialists say she came to the country as a child on a visa, held other visas. It was a visitor visa originally, and then other visas. Enlisted in 2013. Well, wouldn't that be five years? They said four. Anyway, under a special government program for foreign citizens who want to serve in the U.S. military. We know about these programs, and there are some questions about those programs. Some of the programs are being shut down. She had a citizen application that was put in, and it's been pending for over two years. She, re- she applied originally. There was a problem with it. Reapplied in 2016. Two years later, she's still waiting. Her attorney from the American Civil Liberties Union of Southern California says they haven't made good on a promise for citizenship. Uh, Here's what happened. Essentially, she put in her original application for citizenship. One of the documents was found to be uh, not correct. And what's the word they're actually using? Hold on. I want to I want to see which one uh, the armed forces said fraudulent is what they call the document. In an earlier student visa application it was paperwork she obtained through an approved language school and she said it was legitimate according to the lawsuit but the school's owner was convicted in a fraud case so all of those things were basically thrown out so it it sounds like and again that's if everything that that the lawsuit alleges and that her lawyer is saying is correct sounds like it was through no fault of her own but anyway she reapplied through US uh, for US citizenship in 2016 has not yet received an answer on her application once discharged she will not be allowed to work legally in the United States and could face deportation proceedings so this isn't one with a crime involved at worst it's filing uh, paperwork incorrectly it doesn't sound like she knew that it was a fraudulent document. Then again, that, that's, of course, what her legal team would say. So we don't know. We'll keep an eye on it, though. It's an interesting story, and there's a lot of interesting stories out there. And that's what we talk about here on The Morning Briefing from Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Bets every day is what we do. And we're going to connect with IAVA's Director of Research, Steph Mullin. Coming up right after this. Stick around.
2: We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day.
1: Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at ConnectingVets.
0: Welcome back to the Morning Briefing, Monday edition. I'm your host, Eric Dame. JQs is your producer. ConnectingVets.com, your website. Created by veterans and for veterans, Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com is connecting vets every day through a variety of platforms, video, you got to go check out the video of uh, super producer Jake Hughes being not-so-super new Army PFT taker Jake Hughes. He may have gotten a little bit out of shape since he left the Army, is what I'm saying, and it may be a thoroughly enjoyable video. So go check that out there. Of course, audio like this show, our recent interview with people like Senior Chief Kristen Beck. Nick Francona, Marine Corps sniper and now former New York Mets employee. All that stuff is available at ConnectingVets.com. So go check it out and follow us on social media where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest, you may or may not know, Numbers is her jam. Steph Mullen is the research director for Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America and joins us today to talk about a number of interesting subjects that IAVA is focusing on. So Steph, how are you doing today?
2: Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: It is always a pleasure because numbers, not so much my jam. So it's good to know someone who can look at all of these things and uh, tell me what I should be able to figure out myself, but can't because I'm not that bright. Uh, Well, there's also some items that maybe aren't as number related as people might think, but there's numbers in everything. The world is binary, man. Zeros and ones. It's all zeros and ones. Leadership shakeups at the VA. We're seeing even more leaders at the VA being removed from positions, stepping down from positions. What can you tell us about that? And here's the numbers aspect. Do we have any idea how many positions are open at the VA top to bottom?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Numbers are my jam. I'm happy to be here uh, bringing you the latest. So uh, I don't have an exact number. I think it's really hard to tell, and that's part of the problem, right? We've seen a lot of leadership shakeups, even in the past week or so, uh, that's kind of out of the norm for an interim VA secretary. Uh, And anytime you have a lot of leadership shakeups like we've been seeing, it's never really a great look. Uh, But we have the Wilkie vote um, for the VA secretary nomination and confirmation process that's coming up on today, Monday. Uh, but we've also seen leadership changes within VHA at the top, as well as the Center for Women Veterans. We've seen OIG clashes. Um, and just last week, we heard that over 1,100 um, positions or VA staffers have been laid off in the last year under the VA Accountability Act. So lots of changes going on over at VA. Uh, it's really uh, unnerving to see for sure, um, but hopefully with... Um, Wilkie we'll possibly coming in in the next few months or so uh, there'll be some stability
0: we're hoping it's going to be in the next few weeks and we've talked to uh, several people who think that that by the end of July he should be in place there the question is Why would the interim VA secretary be removing people from these positions when the full-time guy may be just a couple of weeks away? I mean, this could be a situation where you have people being removed from positions and then Wilkie has to come in and hire that same person back. And that might sound odd, but we we see it happen. Something recently happened over at the VA where someone who used to do a position was just hired back to do the same position You know, four years after they left the VA. Uh, It's crazy. And the overall, not just leadership, but the overall numbers at the VA, I've heard numbers bandied about like 40,000 open jobs at the VA. And that's top to bottom. That's from people, you know, cleaning the, uh, the floors all the way up to undersecretary for, you know, pick whatever undersecretary position you want up there. This is a serious issue, whether you are receiving care at the VA or not. If you are a veteran who has any interaction with the VA through the GI bill or anything, this is something that can have a severe effect, can it?
2: Absolutely. I think that's the big issue here, right, is that when you have leadership changes at the top, it impacts everyone from top to bottom, and even the veterans walking in the door. And it's the veterans that are getting care at the VA, are getting their benefits from the VA, that are going to be impacted the most. And for IAVA members, uh, we know this for sure. 82% of IAVA members are enrolled at VHA. 45% get benefits other than health care. So this is a huge issue for us. We want to make sure that when our members are coming in the door of VA or when they're accessing their benefits, there's someone there to answer the call uh, and get them what they need.
0: Yeah. And that is the key. I mean, it's, it's at a point now where we have, Small-scale individual incidents at places, uh, and sometimes not so small-scale, but we have incidents with things like the Northport VA Medical Center in New York having to close down their operating rooms because crap was shooting out of the vents because it's an old building. It's been there since uh, the Vietnam era, and that's the newest building on that VA campus up there. Uh, You have other things happening where it's a you know lack of training where you had the one what was it up in was it new hampshire or vermont where they had like the flies in the in the emergency room and operating room yeah new hampshire it was i you know and and blood on instruments that people walking around were like this looks like a scene out of a saw movie like what are we doing here that's bad but this could get a lot worse if there aren't people to fill the positions to make sure that everything that's supposed to happen is happening isn't that correct
2: Absolutely. I mean, the VI is one of the biggest medical s- centers and uh, institutions in America, right? It's oh, yeah. huge. It's in-
0: the largest, yes. I believe, uh, centralized healthcare uh, company in the United States. If, yeah. you, if it were a company, of course, it's not. It's a government organization, but it's bigger than any other uh, grouping of hospitals in the country.
2: Yeah. And so the challenges are immense when you're dealing with that many hospitals, medical centers, uh, clinics anything, you name it. Uh, The problem is when you have new leadership coming in, every new leader has different ways they want things done, they're setting new presidents, they see their staff in different lights, maybe they're changing up the staff as we've been seeing. And I think that is really the challenge here and uh, really the problem when you get down to it is Mm -hmm. what are these changes gonna be? How are they being communicated to the field? And are they being executed effectively? That's constantly a challenge at VA. The problem is if you don't have effective leadership at the top, that's just increasing the hurdle. And again, it's veterans that are walking in the door that are going to be feeling that impact.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. And that is what we do not want to happen. And you just wonder why they're doing this while Wilkie is so close. He was just fairly recently the interim secretary at the VA, the guy who replaced him because he had to recuse himself from that position when he was nominated to be the full-time secretary so he's not allowed to have really any interaction with the VA so you wouldn't think that these are decisions that he's made he would be I mean it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me that this would be happening unless there is some communication and Wilkie is telling uh, whatever O'Rourke I think his name is it's over there right now the interim secretary if he is directing him to do this uh, I guess that would be a little bit better but it doesn't seem like that's something that should be happening if it is.
2: No uh, that should not be happening but I will say you know O'Rourke was chief of staff for a while. I believe, when uh, Wilkie was acting secretary. So Mm -hmm. theoretically and in a perfect world, they have the same vision for the VA, right? They're carrying out the same mission. They're working for the same boss as it will be, which is President Trump, uh, and carrying out his vision for the VA. So there is still some overlap. You still have a lot of leaders at the highest level, though we've talked about leaders changing. There's still some that stay the same. So again, in a perfect world, you're carrying out the same mission, uh, and so you have the same vision, and you're carrying that forward. In reality, is that's what is happening? No, I think. Who knows. T- <laughs> yeah, who knows? Time will tell. Yeah. Uh, maybe in the next month or two, we'll have a better answer for that. Yeah, uh, I. Th- That's not a great uh, answer, right? That doesn't make me sleep well at night thinking about all of the changes that are happening and how that's going to impact vets uh, and their families and their benefits and what's going on on the ground. Um, But in reality, I think that that's what we got to live with.
0: We're speaking with Steph Mullen from Iraq and Afghanistan, Veterans of America. She is their research director. Numbers are her jam. And there's a lot of numbers, a lot of dollars and cents involved when talking about this next program. It's run by the VA, but... DOD apparently has their fingers in it, too, based on what I've recently been hearing. And that's the GI Bill and some eligibility changes and some things that uh, no one seems to understand exactly why these changes are happening or what the purpose of them is. I think I have an idea, but I want to find out what you've uh, heard about the GI Bill changes.
2: Yeah, so the bottom line is that the eligibility for transferring your GI Bill has changed. It used to be if you served over six years, you could change your, uh, you could transfer your GI Bill to your dependents. Only that was the only um, rule on there, right? You serve six years. Now it's between six and sixteen. If you serve over sixteen, you can no longer transfer it. Transfer it. There right. are a couple other ones in there, but that's the big one. Uh, DoD says it's because it's not really helping their recruitment and retention. Numbers after that 16-year mark. So they don't feel the need to continue this on past 16 years. (laughs) They also say it's impacting a small number, right? About 9% of service members. And this is going to start next July 2019. That if you have over 16 years, you can no longer transfer. Okay. That's those are the numbers. That's the bottom line. Um, IABA's position is that it's unacceptable right this is the start of something that could really impact veterans for the worse, right if this is the first hit to the gi bill we got to hold the line here because it might be the first of many um and so we have to fight back on any attack on the gi bill and defend it at all costs
0: one thing that I don't understand is why the hell the DOD hasn't, this is a veterans program. It's a VA program. This is not something that the DOD should have the ability to change like that, at least in my eyes, but apparently they do. The other thing here is, so what they're saying is, well, it's a recruiting tool and all we're worried about is getting people in the door. Once they've committed to spending a full 20 years in retiring, well, who cares about them? We're not going to give them this benefit. (sighs) There are words that I would like to use right now, directed at the Department of Defense, that I cannot because this is a a family show and a family broadcast. But, uh, you know, to to quote a line from a, a Justin Bieber song that I think is fairly close to my intentions, you can go and love yourself. How about that? So this is infuriating, really, when you think about it, that now those who are devoting the most time, those who have given more of their lives than anybody else to the military, are the ones who are going to be screwed over by this. Not just them, their dependents, their children, who have gone and struggled through PCS moves, who have struggled through God knows how many deployments for most people that are uh, uh, serving these days uh, in any sort of combat capacity or in the Navy or what have you. This is... I mean, IAVA says it's unacceptable. This is not just unacceptable. This is infuriating. And I don't understand uh, how they think they're going to be able to get away with this or how they think it's okay to go like, well, we've already got you for the 20. What are you going to do? You're going to get out at 16 years. They're playing that little game. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So you, you got it exactly right. When you transfer your GI Bill, you have to serve another four years. right? So if you're transferring at 16 years, you're at your 20 which means you're probably retiring.
0: Yeah, you, that's, that's coming up toward maybe your last reenlistment. You already may have signed up one more time or however it works for officers, your re-officerment or whatever the hell it is that they do. I don't really know. Um, the, I, <laughs> This is uh, transparent. This is a transparent move to save money on the backs of those who have committed and served the longest and done the most time. Now, they will still be able to go to college on the GI Bill, the veteran themselves, It's about the ability to transfer it to their dependents. Here's something I'd like to bring up, and I'll use myself as a personal example. I served in the Navy for 13 years before my time came to an end. I planned to do 20. It didn't work out that way. Navy decided they were going to cut a whole bunch of people. I just got caught up in a numbers game and boop, boop, see ya, unless I wanted to become a cop or a cook, and I didn't want to do either one of those things. So... Uh, That was 13 years in. Had I stayed in, I probably uh, wouldn't have met my wife, wouldn't have gotten married, wouldn't have had my son. I had no kids at 13 years old. I probably wouldn't have had any at 16 if I stayed in the military. I was kind of married to that life. So if I do 16 years and I don't have any children, then I get married after I retire or in my 17th or 18th year and have a kid. Oh, sorry, little guy. Should have come around sooner, and then your dad shouldn't have retired. He should have gotten out at 15 years. Think about the insanity of the thought process of doing that, and the fact that more veterans aren't raising the alarm and sounding off about this is kind of shocking to me, honestly.
2: So, uh, absolutely correct. If you, let's say you get married when you're on your 17th year in the service or your 18th year, you have a kid, you can't transfer it at that point, hmm. according to this new guidance. Yeah. Now, I will say transferring your GI Bill is has never been an easy process. No, it's
0: not. And I have a friend who, who went through a nightmare getting it to his son who's in college now. And they basically had to pay out of pocket for his first few semesters because the GI bill benefits uh, did not happen as quickly as they should.
2: Yeah. And as I understand it, after you leave, like you really have to do it while you're serving and you have to commit to those four years while you're serving and transfer it. So it's something that I V is currently, you know, <laughs> we're recommending, we're pushing that that transferability is expanded. Um, it's definitely a place where it's a hard sell because it does cost a lot of money. Right. And like at the end of the day, we always have to argue that this is an earned benefit. It's not just a tool for recruitment and retention. It's a benefit. It's you earned it on the battlefield, right? Like I'm a civilian. I have never signed a check up to and including my life and put my life on the line for this country, but you have. So this yeah. is a benefit that you should be able to use how and when you like.
0: Yeah, it's 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 insulting. It's infuriating. It is a lot of things. And it's also, as you mentioned, it's not just a recruiting tool. But, but let's say that that is the main goal of the GI Bill is as a recruiting tool. Of course, that's not why the GI Bill was created. That's how DOD views it. Again, why do they have their stinky little fingers on this? I have no idea. It's a veteran program. But it is a recruiting tool. Let's say that that's true so are a lot of things like oh you know like i was a navy journalist and then mass communication specialist they promised me that school when i came in how do you think i would have reacted if after boot camp they were like ah no you're not eligible for that anymore or you can only go to half of the school and then go out in the uh into the fleet and you don't get to do it recruiting tools are promises that you make to someone this government program enacted by congress not the united states military is not something that is to be trifled with, and it's not something that they should even have the ability to pull away from people. And I'm getting angrier and angrier the more than I think about this. We only learned about it a couple of days ago, uh, you know, last week basically. And now we're talking about it again kicking off this week. And I'm on vacation next week. But b- between now and then I may reach out to some people that I know and start asking some questions and see if there's anybody uh, who's sitting up there on Capitol Hill who may want to come down and explain to me how this is okay and 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 see if they can, uh, can, can give me the <laughs> – the, any sort of explanation.
2: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, from what I've seen, heard, and read, Congress had no input in this decision. It's DOD. Um, Yeah, Yeah. and I do absolutely believe, you know, the GI Bill and the Forever GI Bill and all its iterations were passed by Congress, and this change in policy certainly undermines the spirit of the bill. Um, With that being said, is it within the realm of possibility for DOD to do? I do think so, because... (laughs) DOD <laughs> has a lot of leeway in these things. Does that mean that Congress can't take a step to do Oh, no, they can change
0: that? whatever they want. Absolutely. So I, that's, that's I think, the key. And I know IAVA, I mean, you guys aren't a political organization, but when things like this happen, you do want to make your membership aware of them. And if someone is or isn't an IAVA member, not everybody's eligible to be an IAVA member, and not everybody is signed up to be one, Uh what do they what do they do about something like this when it comes up when there's a case like this where it would probably take the senators and congress people in washington dc to fix it how do they go about enacting that change
2: yeah i think like knowledge is your best weapon so i will just say you know for iava members the gi bill is always one of our top priorities always one of our top concerns we've been fighting for the post 9/11 gi bill all the way back from before 2008, all the way through, um, 92% of our membership is eligible. Over 70% have either used or transferred the benefit, um, and so certainly we want to make sure that our membership is activated. They know what's going on, and that they have the tools to do so. That's part of our take action page, uh, which is iava.org/take-action. You can always join IAVA at iava.org/join-us. Um, and then also, you know, if you're not an IVA member and maybe you don't want to join, although I would highly encourage you to do so, <laughs> even if you're just a supporter, uh, you know, get in touch with your members of Congress. Uh, you can always make your voice heard on social media, on phone, over email, uh, just letting them know that this is an issue and that you're tracking it makes a huge difference.
0: It, it can make a huge difference. And for those people uh, thinking about joining IAVA or, or maybe considering it, uh, here's one uh, thing that IAVA has going for it that most of the others don't. There's no financial commitment. You just mm-hmm. sign up to be a member of IAVA. So, you know, uh, unless you totally disagree with what the organization is doing and stands for, there you go. It's an option for you uh, if you're interested in doing that. IAVA.org is their website. We're speaking with their research director, Steph Mullen. Steph, Steph, Burn pits. That's another thing that IAVA has been pretty heavy on. You were uh, very involved in the legislation put forward by Congress uh, members Mast and Gabbard, both Army veterans, of course, uh, on burn pits. What can you tell us about where it stands right now and how that legislation is moving?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing a lot of momentum build around the burn pits issue in general. Um, our amazing legislative director, Tom Porter, uh, you can follow him on Twitter at, at Tom Porter DC. Uh, if numbers are my jam, Ledge is his jam. Uh, all of the <laughs> That's bills not going to never-
0: stick. That's not going <laughs> to stick. Sorry,
2: Tom. I'm trying for you, man. Uh, but he attended a roundtable this week where Chairman Rowe uh, from HVAC, the House Veterans Affairs Committee, had 15 members of Congress in attendance, 20 veteran service organizations, and even the GAO and uh, National Academy of Sciences. They're talking about burn pits and what comes next and how we can address this issue of toxic exposures and burn pits and getting veterans uh, the care that they need. So even to just see that kind of interest from members of Congress and the community, I think is a really great step in the right direction. Uh, Not only that, but Tom presented uh, our burn pits legislation and our activities to uh, the interim secretary who we talked about earlier, this segment um, to the, at the uh, secretary breakfast, which was earlier last week. Uh, and on the Burn Pits Accountability Act, we're almost at the 100 mark um, as I'm speaking today. We're at 96 co-sponsors. So we're seeing a lot of build. Yeah.
0: That's pretty good. And it's something that I also brought up when speaking with uh, Senator Johnny Isaacson, the chair of the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee. When I asked him about burn pits and, and asked him to uh, uh, give us his thoughts on that, particularly as it relates to the Blue Water Navy legislation, which is something kind of outside of the realm of what IAVA deals with because it affects Vietnam veterans specifically. He said that you know that Blue Water Navy is kind of an example of what can happen if you keep kicking the can down the road, and he does not want to see that happen when it comes to burn pits or any other thing that affects the health of our military members and veterans. Uh, like those two issues have, so when you hear the chair of the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee uh, speaking that way, you talk about reaching a hundred cosigners uh, on the uh, on the House uh, legislation that's going up there. It seems like at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later, we're going to see uh, some of this legislation actually make it through and see some of these changes come to light. Are you, how confident are you guys that that's going to happen?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you're lips to God's ears, right? Knock on wood. Uh, I don't want to jinx anything as we're speaking here, but we certainly uh, see it moving in the right direction. And uh, I really think that you know we stand on the shoulders of giants and we stand on the shoulders of the last generation. Um and we owe a lot to the Vietnam veterans who came before us um, and fought for Agent Orange and fought for that kind of presumption of exposure. And we're very lucky that they're standing with us even today and fighting for the burn pits exposures and toxic exposures for that to be recognized. Um, so I really can't say enough that like this is really a community effort and it takes all of us singing in unison uh, for anything to get, have legs and get movement.
0: I do love that you started that off with like three different old expressions like, knock on wood, jinx. Uh, all the other things all went in there at the same time. That was a great way to begin. And it. it was like, knock on wood, your lips to God's ears. L- ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Steph Mullen talks about old proverbs.
2: <laughs> i actually idioms. like 100 years old <laughs> yeah. uh, in those those my soul. Idioms, like, yeah,
0: cheese it. It's the fuzz. You know, my grandfather actually, apparently, that was his, uh, my grandfather's 103 And when he was a young man, he was involved in some shady activities, stealing pumpkins from people's houses around Halloween. And uh, yeah, he was, I think he was in like high school and his job was to stand on the corner. And if the police came to yell out, cheese it, it's the fuzz or something (laughs) like that. I mean, yeah, those old sayings are always fun. Um, We have been speaking with Steph Mullen from Iraq and Afghanistan, veterans of America. Steph, as we finish up here, just a couple minutes left. There's been some momentum on a lot of your big six priorities at IAVA and announced not all that long ago. Uh, How happy are you with the movement that you've seen?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think summer is a really easy time to lose focus and a really easy time to think that you can take your pedal off the gas. Um, But all of our priorities we're pushing hard on uh, with suicide prevention and mental health. We've seen a lot come out from the VA. We've been pushing it on our blogs, on our social media, kind of giving our commentary and pushing forward what we've seen come out. Women veterans, uh, we've had Senator Warren join us on the Deborah Sampson Act, as well as a couple other Congresswomen and men um, on the Deborah Sampson Act on the House side, and so You know, just to see that support around all of our big six is really great. As we continue on into the summer and into the fall, we're really gaining momentum and we'll continue to push forward.
0: That's what IAVA is doing. And again, Ms. Mullen, if people are interested in finding out more about your organization or perhaps joining for free as they're able to do, where do they go to do so?
2: Absolutely. Everything you need is online at IAVA.org to join us. You just go to IAVA.org slash join us. Take you less than five minutes. And, of course, you can find us on social media, uh, on Facebook. We're Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. And on Twitter, we're at, at IAVA.
0: Steph Mullen, Research Director for IAVA. Thank you so much for your time. It's always a
2: pleasure to have you in studio. Thank you so much for having me. Helping military veterans stay connected.
0: We make it easy.
2: We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets. Every day, Online
1: and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at ConnectingVets.
0: Welcome back to the Morning Briefing brought to you by Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is our slogan because it's what we do. And the reason we do it is that each and every member of our team is a veteran themselves. We know what it's like to have worn the uniform and just as importantly, we know what it's like to have taken that uniform off for the last time. So if you visit ConnectingVets.com, you can be assured that you're finding information, news, and even some entertainment that is going to be of benefit to you to help you live your best veteran life. And of course, follow us on social media at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest also knows a thing or two about uniforms. He is former NFL Pro Bowler Sean Springs. Sean, good morning. How are you doing today?
3: Good morning. How are you guys doing?
0: I'm doing pretty well. So we're going to talk to Sean about some amazing work that he's doing with a company called Windpact, which is doing uh, some great work in the field of impact protection. But first, Sean, let's talk a little bit about you and your connection to the military. We have uh, a couple friends in common, and they tell me, did you know Sean was connected to the military? I said, I did not. So tell us a little bit about yourself and growing up uh, in in a military environment, as I understand.
3: My mother, Teresa Thomas, was in the Army while I was growing up. So she was at Fort Houston. She was stationed in Germany. So I've always been around uh, the Armed Forces and her going to camp and to uh, being around the military and going Andrews Air Force Base.
0: Wow. So really a direct connection. I mean, you were um, an Army brat. Uh, around what time did your mom get out of the service?
3: So probably right when I was going to college. Uh, when I was about 18, probably about, I'm telling my age, but right before I was going over to college, my mom decided she was, uh, she did her time in the military. She was retiring. She went into the National Guards. And uh, so when she retired from the military, she she we moved to the Washington, D.C. area where she was in the National Guards for several years. And then I remember my days of being at the D.C. Armory, hanging out at the Armory, <laughs> uh, seeing all the the guns and seeing all the weapons and just being a kid just fascinated by all the military and all the awards and medals and different things. So, um, I was around it all my life and when I was 18 going into college, he retired.
0: It's interesting to hear, Sean, from a former NFL player, a top-level athlete who was a military brat, whose mom served in the military uh, You know, up until around the time that you went to college, which means you probably moved around a lot, which I know some, some kids growing up on military bases and growing up overseas who have athletic abilities, they kind of worry that they might not be seen by all the scouts and all that stuff. Was that ever a concern for you?
3: Well my my high school years I ended up living with my father Ron Springs who played in the NFL in the Washington D C area. So uh my mom thought it was best to live with my dad so we wouldn't have to travel around. But uh, there's a lot of guys who played in the NFL, whether they're mother or father or grandparents or somebody uh that's affiliated with the, the United States armed forces that, you know, this they the the stories they tell they moved around year to year, but they still were able to get uh, have success in, in sports because that's how they became uh, uh, acclimated to their, their new environment pretty quick because it was like, well, football or basketball or baseball was a reason that, you know, it was okay because my friends accepted me because I was good at sports. So we see that in the, in football a lot, a lot of guys who moved around a lot.
0: Yeah, that certainly makes sense, and sports can certainly be a, a great bridge for friendships and uh, you know, getting people interested in you. If you happen to be good at shooting a ball, throwing a ball, firing a puck or anything like that, it can be beneficial for you. One man who was very good at chasing down the balls thrown by others in the NFL is Sean Springs, who joins us now on The Morning Briefing. We're going to talk about his amazing work with a company called Winpact in just a moment. Sean, what do you think of being the the child of a soldier? What do you think that added to your life, and do you think that Played a part in the success that you had both academically at Ohio State and then uh, later in the NFL?
3: No doubt. Some of the, the discipline lessons that my mom talked about and structure that, you know, obviously I saw that she had been a part of the military and the Army. Those are the same things that were were being taught in my household. Discipline, structure, hard work. Uh, get up, get things done, don't procrastinate. All the things that you see uh that our US soldiers and our forces that these guys preach all the time. You need to have that type of level of discipline and that carries over to your school as well as sports. And um my mom was uh she was she was horrible fair is what I like to say. And she was just honest and, and she was just a great mother.
0: When people think about the NFL, it's almost a a militaristic game. I mean, there are people who are famous in the NFL, great coaches who served in the military. It's got almost a military feel to it in some ways. Mm -hmm. Seeing what your mother went through and then seeing what what you went through in the NFL, how do you think the two compare from your perspective?
3: They're very connected. I I think they both take a a mental toughness and a discipline, a willingness to – I have so much respect for the U.S. Army because those guys, they, play, they They we as football players, we play a game and we can have win a, a win, and we could you can lose sometimes. But in the army, you know, it's not, you know, you can't lose. You know, they risk their lives for our freedom. So, uh, but the similarities between you know this having the mindset that we got to do whatever it's take, whatever it takes to get the, the job done, is what makes. Uh, a successful soldier as well as a successful athlete. I think, you know, that's the key for most of the guys that I I know who had uh, military ties, whether it was their father or mother or whether it was a coach or somebody in their lifetime. That's the attitude that, that comes through the most.
0: We're speaking with NFL veteran Sean Springs. He is a pro bowler. He was an all-pro in the NFL, now doing great things with a company called Wimpack. One more question about your uh, your military connections there, Sean. Who is it easier to be yelled at, or who's the better yeller? Is it going to be a defensive coordinator or the mom who's uh, served in the Army for many years?
3: <laughs> well, well it, I, I would have to say I was smart. Most people think it was my mom who was in the military, but it's actually my defensive coordinator. And my mom, she wasn't about yelling; she was about action. She would just make you do push-ups or run or do something tough. She didn't yell. She didn't talk a lot. She just said, you,
0: "You just got to get it done." <laughs> there you go. So wow. you know, and and maybe I think there are some defensive coordinators and head coaches in the NFL who could learn a thing or two from from your mom right. when it comes to yeah, leading no by pressure. example instead of just being leading by being loud. Sean, you talk about the uh, the things that the NFL has in common with the military and veteran community. One unfortunate thing that we have in common is the issues with CTE, PTSD, TBI, mm-hmm. brain injuries coming from uh, you know in the military world explosions ieds vehicle rollovers all sorts of things and then the tremendous impact of incredibly fast large men smashing into each other on the nfl field you are now doing work to address that with wind so first yes. tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about what wind is and where the idea for it came from and where you came into the process all sure. right
3: all right, and you're absolutely right. There's a lot of correlation to the athletes that are suffering from TBI and PTSD, as well as soldiers who are suffering from the same thing. And so, there's a strong tie and correlation between some of the effects <clears throat> that we're seeing between the athlete and the soldier. When in fact, we're an advanced impact protection company. We use our patented technology to improve the performance of safety gear and sports wreck the military, as well as in automotive. We believe if there's an impact, uh, we can solve it. And really, uh, that idea spurred or was uh, inspirational to me because my father and my dad's footsteps who was a professional football player, and also my mom seeing the effects of soldiers. So I wanted to make not only the playing field safer, but I wanted to present that or the protective gear for the Army as well, safer. So I was just inspired to make a difference to see if not just talk about it or be one of the, the former players who said, hey, you know, we have this issue. What can I do about it? I wanted to be able to provide and give a service back to those and the next-generation athlete, and, and, and hopefully the soldiers as well. I saw the original technology in a baby car seat where it was revolutionizing the way we address side impacts and protecting a baby in a car. And I just thought it was fascinating. This technology not only could um, absorb energy, but it could disperse energy, much like uh, the the best example I could give you uh, in football, would be, uh, well, much best example I can give, give you how you could describe this technology is an airbag with a mattress inside it. So on low and medium impacts, it's very soft and comfortable for an athlete or the, whatever the protective gear is in, but on an impact at a high speed, it's able to stiffen up and protect against the high forces as well. So that allows the technology to... Uh, it's for impacts at, at various speeds, levels, uh, from low, medium, high, and a tunable technology. So I initially saw it in baby car seat, and was excited to bring it to, initially, the sports and rec world where we can protect the helmets and make the helmets safer. And then now we've explored into military and automotive.
0: It's really fascinating that for so long, helmets, whether for the military or for uh, NFL players, NHL players, NASCAR drivers, helmets have changed very little over the years. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just the medical science finally catching up and revealing these issues that those who have to wear helmets for works often face, uh, finally letting us know that it needed to be changed?
3: Yeah, and that's part of it, It was a little bit of unknown. If you think about football... When we went from a leather helmet to a, a plastic shell, uh, it was a different problem set. The problem set was like, don't get a skull fracture. It'll crack your skull. Two fast forward to years later, uh, we have a new problem. We have CTE. We have traumatic brain injury. We have this concussion issue. So the medical scientists and the people who understand the body and the brain better are now realizing we have to address uh, issue beyond just a skull fracture. So now the technology and, and the way we build a safer equipment has to be to bridge the gap between what the smart, smart medical professionals are saying, people like you see uh, here in Washington, D.C. over at NIH, to the people who are actually building the helmets, uh, whether it's Rodel or Shutt in football or CCM bar and hockey or baseball clients or whoever it is, we have to be able to just take that learning or understanding of this is how the athlete is being affected. We the helmets are built. The helmet manufacturers know how the helmets are built and the impacts they see, but the doctors understand what is actually happening to the in a place. So You've got to be at a breezy gap, and that's what we hope to do at WinPack: be able to take the knowledge and learning from really smart medical professionals, uh, put that into our technology to help address some of the issues that we see.
0: We're speaking with former NFL All-Pro and Army brat Sean Springs about Windpacked, a new technology. It's a company he's the CEO of that's working to change the game when it comes to helmets. Sean, on a personal level, how important Mm -hmm. is this to you, having played in the NFL? And, I mean, we've seen uh, men that you shared the field with, Uh, Junior Seau committing suicide. Aaron Hernandez, after he killed himself in prison, they said was one of the worst cases of CTE they'd ever seen. It seems that just about anyone who who laced up their cleats at any high level for football, maybe even up just to the high school level, is going to suffer from some form of some level of CTE. What does it mean to you to have uh, perhaps the ability to make a change in that?
3: And that's all we can do. I don't know if anyone in our lifetime will be able to solve the concussion issue, but we at WEMPAT, we aim every day to make the game safer, to do our parts to to reduce the effects of traumatic brain injury and concussions. So it's important to me because when I was growing up, you know, you could play and everybody could play free. It was about the lessons you learn from playing sports. Uh, the hard work, the teamwork, the discipline, uh, the friendship and camar- camaraderie commodity that you get from playing with your your team to good. my greatest friends are guys I've been knowing from high school uh till today or even the youth level in some cases. The same with the military, you know, you wanna you have these type of relationships and you wanna be knowing that you're serving your company, you're providing uh uh, a protection and a service to your country, you want to be protected. So it's important to me that, you know, we get, we get the best equipment as possible to make our soldiers safer, to make the athletes we protect safer, so people know that they can go out there and do their job to the best of their ability or have fun uh, to the best of their ability without uh, worrying about later effects in life.
0: When it comes to this technology and its applications to military headwear specifically, you're dealing with uh, different types and levels of impact when it comes to explosions, IEDs, things Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. How does the technology uh, work in both, like, say, the athletic and Uh, the automotive and the military uh, uh, worlds?
3: Well, well, the the unique thing about the technology, the tool that Meaning, based on the different type of impacts, we can interchange the material as well as Work on controlling the flow. So clearly, when you talk about talk about some of the 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 bomb blast and the, the type of pressures that you see uh, in the military, I don't even know if a helmet or anything can protect you from some of the levels of uh, impacts that you see. But the, but we know we can improve the carrot solution that they have today. So as 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 we get in better and more understanding of what type of uh, impacts and things challenges that. We have the software. We try to find better materials to give better protection and just keep increasing the protection. Uh, so one of the things that we, we notice in football, for example, and it's an easier example to give to you, to you guys in the audience today, is most of the helmets were built for a very, very high impacts the guy who was running down on the kickoff. But as you know, if you watch a football game, 90% of the impacts are between the linemen and D linemen or linebackers and running backs. And a little bit of a little guy's like, the receivers, like uh, the receivers and defensive back, but most of us are scared, so we we try to stay outside and catch the ball and <laughs> <up their round. laughs> But for, but but seriously, the most of the impacts come between the big guys, and and it's not a a big distance that you're running down hitting each other. There's twelve, twenty four, and thirty six inches. So not only does the technology have to be able to protect for the person who's running down on kickoff and having big edge, also the the impacts uh, that are close range impacts. So we we factored all those different scenarios and that's beauty of our technology is the the phone not only is soft enough or immediate impacts, but the air comes to play when you're looking at high impacts so It's a combination. That's why we like to say it's a unique combination. And we believe this can be applied to a lot of different industries and purposes, this type of uh, force mitigation solution
0: we're speaking with retired NFL player and Army brat Sean Springs about Windpack, a company that he's the CEO of that is working to change the game when it comes to helmets and how they're able to protect their wearers from impacts. Sean, hearing about the technology is amazing, it's fantastic, but for it to actually put into use, the the United States military has to adapt it. What has the response been yep. from the military so far if anything?
3: Yep, yeah, well, this year was our first year of a working with the United States Military Army. We won our uh, proposal at Natick Lab, where we've been working on improving the uh, interior of the e- ECH or ACH Helmet Combat Soldiers Helmet at Natick Labs. Uh, the early testing, and yeah, we've done a lot of uh, preliminary testing, and so far it looks good, and, and the results are looking good, and it's something we'll be doing over the next two years with uh, the guys at Natick, and we test at Chesapeake, or Aberdeen, Merlin as well. So we're pretty excited about the, the progress we've made, um, the reduction of the impacts we've seen. So we we we've been in the first round early stages of a two year deal, but uh, it looks pretty it looks pretty promising so far.
0: So it sounds like uh, probably a couple of years is the soonest that we could see this technology having an impact with those boots on the ground in some place like yep. Afghanistan or something like that. Correct?
3: Yes, correct. But you know, what the unique thing about the technology, as we uh, we saw, and understand how the the started to understand the technology works and how it can dissipate energy, uh, we've already. Seeing that people were starting to notice, like, well, could be more a car, like a or a bomb blast or a chest protector that that, that dissipates energy versus, you know, so it, the the good thing about it is now we're starting to work with the army. We're excited about the potential uh, of that soldier's helmet, combat helmet, as well as of, applications. Because our aim is just to, to be able to provide great solutions for better protection for the
0: soldier. We've been speaking with Sean Springs, former NFL All-Pro, current CEO of Windpact, and as we learned today, an Army back. Brad grew up with his mother serving in the United States Army and National Guard. Sean, if people want to find out more about Windpact, if they want to find out more about what this technology Mm -hmm. can do and how it might apply to their life, whether they're currently serving in the military or veterans themselves, where can they go to do so?
3: You can go online at winpack dot com. It's W I N D P A C T dot com. dot com and uh you learn all about what we do. Um and some of the products that we're going to go into. Uh, we're pretty excited that we have more products on on market this year. So if you got kids in sports, please go out and buy go to Dick's and buy the, the, the helmets that have the Webpack technology. We don't actually produce the full, complete helmet. We work with the helmet manufacturers to improve their their helmets, whether it's in baseball, football, hockey, yeah, some of the top brands in the country. We decided that it's better for us to partner with those guys. More like the Gore-Tex or Intel inside for sporting equipment, if, Mm -hmm. if you really want to think about us.
0: Right, and that certainly makes sense, and you know, as the father of a five-year-old who at some point, I'm sure, is going to be putting on a helmet to play sports, and who knows, maybe one day is putting on one in the military, uh, certainly anything that can help make it safer is greatly appreciated. So, Sean, thank you for your work with Windpact, and also, thank you for all the assistance I'm sure you've given your mother over the years growing up when she was in the <laughs> Army and, and making life easy for her and never being a problem child, right?
3: That's how I was able to get my allowance and my summer money by shining
0: my mom's Oh wow. See? There you go. <laughs> I'm definitely going to definitely going to let people know about that story. Well, Sean, thank you so much for joining us on the morning thank briefing. You. We appreciate your time today. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. There you have it. Sean Springs, NFL veteran and son of an army veteran. An army retiree. His mom of course serving in the army and as he just told us, the way he got his allowance money, shining her boots. I should should have thought of that when I was in. I should have had a kid just so that I could have someone to shine my boots and all that good stuff. You know, I think, Jake, with uh, professional athletes, much like uh, retirees in the military, there can be a difficulty in finding something to do that gets it done for you after you retire, after you get out. You've got to find something. You know, in the military, you get your retirement pay, depending on what your rank was. It may or may not give you enough money to really live on. But oftentimes, you want to find something else to kind of supplement that, both financially and more importantly, just as far as having something to do with yourself. It certainly sounds like Sean with Windpact has found something that, uh, connects with him on a personal level, both because of his time in the NFL and the issues with concussions, CTE, TBI, all these different things that are going on in that world. And then also has that military connection with his mom having served in the military that he believes wind pact can make a difference for military members and all of us who are suffering, uh, who suffer concussions and TBIs from whether it's explosives on the battlefield or something in a training accident. I mean, I, I, I can remember getting whacked in the head with an SCBA tank. I was Was bending over in a a damage control locker on board the USS Saipan, bending over to pick something up. Somebody wearing an SCBA spun around, boom, right in the head. Now I wasn't even wearing a
1: helmet. That explains so much now.
0: Yeah. Well, what's your excuse? (laughs) That's the question I have for you. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's one of those things that helmets haven't changed that much. I mean, they've changed. If you look at a World War One helmet compared to a World War II helmet, you'll be like, all right, this is a better helmet. This is going to protect people better. Look at today's Kevlar helmets versus uh, the you know the steel helmets that they were using in World War II. It's a better helmet. But in general, when it comes to shock protection, there's been very little done in the name of that. It's more about uh, being hard, being able to protect against shrapnel. And that's one thing non-military members often don't understand about military helmets. They're not made to take a direct round. They're made for uh, ricochets or an indirect fire or to take like, you know, uh, shrapnel or rubble or blast stuff like that and there's very little that they do against impact. So, you know, the concussion of an explosion or hitting the ground hard or landing hard and, you know, it's it's just something that they haven't made too many adaptions in and I think as, as Sean was saying, science is finally starting to catch up and know where these problems are coming from so it's really just a great thing that we may be able to see a reduction in concussion and TBIs, don't you think?
1: I absolutely agree. Now, the problem is going to be, will the military be able to be quick to adapt this kind of stuff?
0: Well, as he told us, two years of this kind of uh, feeling first phase that they're in right now, two years of testing with the military, and then there will probably be some time after that, but a minimum of two years before we start seeing this really uh, used on the field, if it is. Again, it's in a testing phase, but they've got to do something, and WIMPACT is one one of their options, one of their possibilities, and just to hear that they're working on this problem is... I, that's something that I like to hear because this is something that uh, is, is a significant issue. It really is. And it's something that we need to figure out a way to do it. Uh, I don't know if you'll ever 100% eliminate concussions. It's just the way the body works. Uh, a lot of the time the problem is your brain bouncing around inside of the skull. So even if the impact is is kept from hitting your skull, that force is still pushing your head around and causing your brain to bounce around and that little bit of fluid that's in there. But really something that needs to be... Uh, attended to and it sounds like Windpack is doing what they can and they believe they've got one of the answers to it you're listening to the morning briefing well you have been listening to the morning briefing here on intercom radios connecting vets.com connecting vets every day is what we do follow us on social media where we are at connecting vets on facebook twitter instagram and youtube that just about does it for myself eric dame and jqs have a great day see
1: you tomorrow